Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. And if you're committed to working on your own development and to helping others bring out and be the best version of themselves, you are in the right place because I bring you guests who are doing just that. And today I'm so pleased to be able to have as my guest, Susan Schwartz. Susan, welcome to my show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so excited about the conversation we're going to be having. Let me tell my listeners a little bit more about you. Susan and I met at a weekly group that we're both members of. It's called Inclusive Leadership in a Virtual World, or ILVW. And Susan is on their executive committee. She does an extraordinary job of selecting and preparing the facilitators every week. And I got to work with Susan, and she is just a joy. Not only that, she is a real expert in an area that is so important in the world of work today, and that's around emotional intelligence. She's a leadership and management coach, and for more than 20 years prior to that, Susan led teams herself and coached professionals to their next career level. Her specialty today is helping people in technical fields when they transition from individual contributor to leader. She conducts expert to excellence programs, which are designed to help knowledge experts make sense of intangible leadership concepts and to equip them to create amazing collaborative teams. Not an easy task. Susan is also the author of Creating a Greater Whole, a project manager's guide to becoming a leader. In this excellent book, she unlocks the not-so-secret secrets of how aspiring managers can become strong leaders. She's also a guest lecturer at Georgetown University, and she's been an adjunct instructor at several other universities. So Susan, that is a brief introduction to all the wonderful things you have done and are doing in the world. And I would love for you to just tell us briefly how you, you know, have have progressed on this journey to being an individual contributor yourself, then a leader, and now helping these technical folks become effective leaders. That is a good question. It's been a long journey and a great journey. I've enjoyed every moment of it. I started life at AT AT&T designing integrated voice and data systems. And I was in the marketing and sales group. So I would meet with the client, get their requirements, work with Bell Labs because I worked in the university and healthcare markets. Nothing was off the shelf. Nothing was standard. If we won the proposal, I'd be the liaison between the customer and the union technicians. So I got to start out learning so many skill sets. Every day was different. And I went from there, I over, I got into adult learning and education at the AT&T Training Center. And I 
realized I loved adult education. I loved making the complicated simple and went on to a startup company where I was employee number 12. So I went from the world's largest company to pretty mm. much the smallest company and we grew and went public. So again, I got to do so many things. Every day was different. And then I ended up, uh, if they were sold, I moved on to a global software company where I had to bring together and create a collaborative unit of 20 different education divisions across 10 countries. And needless to say, each one was the, they felt their method was the best method and nobody else's was right. We did a lot of great work, but at that point, I realized, because I'd been technically oriented, that technology didn't drive business, people did. And that's how I shifted into project management and leadership, because people really are the basis. And when you're that technology person, it's very important. When you're experts, you need to have those expert skills to help your clients. And when it's time to become that leader, you have to switch your mindset. You switch your mindset as an independent contributor on how do you make yourself the best person that you can show up. And when you become a manager and a leader, you need to expand that mindset because it's all about them. And if you can make your people look good, develop professionally, perform at their peak, then you look great. And that's a, sometimes a hard jump for people to take. And it's not that they can't do it. They've just put all their energies into honing those technical skills and not just in IT, at architects and financial analysts and you know, civil engineers. Uh, that it covers you know, all industries. Mm -hmm. So I do believe everybody has an inner leader. We just need to pull it out. That's so good. I love the work that you're doing because it is so important. It is such a different mindset from being the best individual contributor you can possibly be to then being an effective leader. There are not, I mean, there are overlapping skills, obviously, but there's another whole skill set that I think people underestimate the importance of. And I think it would be really valuable for you to share what what's your definition of a really great leader what are some of the things that are most important to somebody taking on a leadership role? Um, that is an excellent question. And a lot of it is intangible. And when I taught leadership classes for project managers, I would always start out asking them who they felt were great leaders. And I would get very often, you know, very same answers. And then I would say, how do you describe what is the one element all these people have in common? And in every class, I would have somebody say, I can't tell you, I know it when I see it. And so that's the toughest part, or how do you measure in order to define? Because mm -hmm. if you have a definition, then you have to have a metric. And that's really how I got into the work that I'm doing now, because I started looking at how do you measure some of those leadership skills? So to back up, you know, um, 
one of the most intangible skills that you really can't work with a team and do anything, you know, much less be effective and productive is you need trust. Because as I mentioned, your job is to make those people look good. Mm -hmm. And you want them to support you. And I'm sure we've all had those managers who behaved badly and they would just throw their people under the bus so they look good. And so trust is so important. It's two-way. You need to trust your people and you also need to show them that you're supporting them and that you're going to back them up. And Stephen M. R. Covey wrote a book called At the Speed of Trust. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you've read it, but he talks about, you know, a trust tax and trust dividends. And what and there's scientific research that says it takes five times as much time to rebuild trust as it does to build it. And so, you know, trust is very important. I think another skill that's very important is delegation because you trust people to the, that they do the work. Um, so often those of us, and I'm probably just as guilty in the past as others, when you get promoted, nobody performs as quickly or as well as you do. And you're just... <laughs> You know, whatever reasons, you're too busy, there's not enough time, you'll train them when they know it. And so that skill of delegation, really, um, you're developing your people. If you stop and you train them and teach them the right way to do it, it's going to save you time in the long run. Mm -hmm. And when you can really delegate, and I like to make the, def, uh, the difference between delegating and dumping. You know, you just don't give them a project and throw it on their desk. You need to set your expectations, share the timelines. If there's a special technique, you know, you need to take the time to set it up up front. Mm -hmm. And if you take the time and hone those steps, it's all practice. And sometimes we don't perform as well as we'd like. And you just take a big swallow and breath and hope the next time you'll practice, you know, something new. Um, mm. The best part about delegating is you're going to get time back in your day. You won't have to wait till four in the afternoon to start doing your work. Mm -hmm. And if you can trust your people and they're supporting you well, you can even take a day off or even a week of vacation without being on the phone the entire 40 hours that you're on vacation. Mm -hmm. So I, I think delegating is also a good skill. Yeah, that's, it's really important. And when I think about people who really are technical experts in their field, and they move into a leadership role, that delegation has to be a biggie that they struggle with because of what you just said. Nobody can do it as well as they can. What are some other things that you have seen in your experience for people, especially in these, you know, technical professions but I, I imagine it could be anyone, but in particular them, what do you see them struggling with in making that transition from individual contributor to leader? Um, one of the greatest struggles is self-confidence because as you've mentioned, they're going from an area that's their great comfort level. 
And one of my clients that I'm working with had this inner leader. He was so good. He just didn't know how good he was. And so part of our work together at the beginning was giving him confidence. And in fact, I mentioned measuring. I, I use an emotional intelligence tool. And when we first started working together, his he measured his self-regard and his assertiveness were very, very low engagement. Uh, very, he's very nervous. And we would have conversations where he was worried about asking his boss a stupid question. He was worried that his boss would realize that he hadn't promoted the right person. And he mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that he showed up as he wanted to. And after five months, our conversations changed. He'd been invited to the senior leadership meetings and he was included and the president and the other vice presidents when it had to do with his department would ask him questions, ask his opinion. He would contribute and participate in those pieces of the conversation. And there was one vice president that refused to acknowledge him and would only speak to his boss. And all of a sudden our conversations changed to how do I get heard at the table? You know, how do I participate? And at that point, we reassessed him and his self-regard and assertiveness traits had really moved on the curve to the point that he had increased his assertiveness points by 52. And it all becomes, but, you know, it was a 52 point spread. Mm -hmm. And it was really getting his confidence and having him practice framing how he asked questions, um, you know, framing what he said to different people and giving him the confidence um, to recognize the situation that he's in and acting accordingly and speaking with his direct reports, his boss, and then this executive level. And it was just amazing to see his progress. That's such a great before and after example. And I think you said a key word there, which is practice. You know, it, we can't just hear something. He can't just sit in on a coaching session with you and then all of a sudden be a different way. And I think this area of confidence it, with someone who's newly promoted, it ties in with imposter syndrome that we hear so mm -hmm. much about. That concern about, I'm going to be found out. And so... Um, I want to back up just a minute to this whole idea of emotional intelligence and what that means, because that's a word we hear all the time. What does it look like when someone is, you know, possesses and shows emotional intelligence? What do we see in a person who's strong with that versus someone who maybe doesn't have that level of self-awareness and doesn't have strong emotional intelligence? Well, it is hard to describe. And emotional intelligence is really how you show up in the world. It's how you perceive yourself and how others perceive you. And they perceive you based on your actions. And so when I, I could go on for two and three days, I could wax on. But if I had to 
speak about emotionally intelligent leaders because I think emotional intelligence is really more of an action verb than a noun. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you were to say, well, how can I start to practice? How do I gain emotional intelligence, you know, while standing on one foot? It's pay attention. The very first step towards enhancing your emotional intelligence is paying attention to your surroundings. Because at the heart, I believe emotional intelligence is really a balance of observations and choices, Mm. behaviors and choices. So that you observe behaviors, you reflect on your experiences, and most importantly, the situation, the people involved, what are the extenuating circumstances? And then you choose how you're going to act. You choose what behaviors you're going to execute to get the create the constructive outcome that you'd like, because you can't change anybody else's behavior but your own. And that's where I like to say, you know, it's a balance of observation and behavior that you choose how you act. But if you don't think about it, if you don't take a moment and breathe and take in the crisis, right, the the crisis part of the situation, Mm -hmm. um, then you um, you're not going to act in the manner that you'd like people to see you. Mm. I love that uh, contrast uh, or the two elements there that you just talked about observing and choosing. Um, and it is to me elevating your awareness as well as your self awareness, right? So it's being aware of the other people, but also being aware of and managing yourself, your emotions, your response to a given situation. And there's so much about our behavior that's ingrained, you know, over time, it's become a pattern for us. And one of the things I loved in your book that you stress, in fact, you've got lots of different exercises throughout it, is this whole idea of taking time to reflect. And I would just love for you to share why that's such an important element in becoming more aware and being able to make these shifts in behavior. So we make choices that serve us and others more effectively. That is an excellent question. And um, what comes to mind is several years ago, uh, there was a professor of sociology at Harvard Business School. And she came up with a contrast that she called mindful and mindless behaviors. Mm. And her premise came from she noticed that when people graduated from Harvard Business School, they all came in with similar GMAT scores, similar GPAs. Their resumes were almost identical. When they left, some were incredibly successful. And there were a few that were not successful. So she was curious, what was that divergent pattern? And what? And so she did a study. And what she realized, I'm, I am a project manager, you know, and at the end, there's a five-phase process. And when you're closing the project, you have a debrief. You figure out, you write down what went right, what went wrong, 
and you put it in a file box, maybe you tie it up with a bow. And the intention is the next time you have a project that's similar that you can take those lessons learned. And what she discovered was some of those people who were not so successful very often did not even look at the lessons learned. They just forgot it. Mm. And then there was the middle part where people took out the lessons that they learned and they said, well, this is what we learned. Let's do this now. And, and they were in the middle. And the truly successful people unpacked the lessons learned. They also took that extra step to say, what has changed? Because mm -hmm. nothing is static. That's the only thing we are guaranteed that something will change. Uh, people, situation, behaviors, regulations, whatever it is. And, um, and so what they did is what they looked to see how could they adapt those lessons learned to the current situation. And the really outstanding, excellent you know, graduates um, in their careers then made a template that said, when we do this again, let's use these new lessons learned for adapting to be aware so we can do it faster the next time. So the more reflective, the more they said, well, we learned this, but if they were paying attention to the current situation and how it was different, and then they prepare because they know change is going to happen. So how can we be ready more quickly to adapt to the next change? It's, you know, a constant evolution. Mm -hmm. Is that helpful? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, we just get so busy going from thing to thing to thing. And we think, well, I don't have time to do that, or I'll do that later. And the argument that you're making through this study that you're citing, and I'm sure your own experience, is it makes a huge difference if we will just slow down for a few minutes, especially after something happens that didn't go the way we hoped it would, so that we don't repeat that in the future. So something different happens instead. And so what you're describing to me is supremely important and practical as a matter of course in, in what we do to make improvements personally or with a situation we're trying to, or a result we're trying to get. So I, I just think that's um, really a very powerful step in this whole process. I'm curious how you use that with the clients you're coaching around the results of their emotional intelligence assessment. How do you help them incorporate this reflective time to make improvements as they're trying to change their behavior? Um, well, there are two. One is more of an individual and then others working with business partners and business colleagues. So, you know, from an individual standpoint, you can forecast or even plan the training transformation um, requirements by looking at people's skill sets, how they're engaged. So I was working with an architect who was amazing, fabulous architect. And when we put him through the assessment, 
his impulse control was incredibly high. I mean, think about it. If you're an architect, you have to pay attention to building codes and physics and all of that stuff because, oh, we can just skip on an inch and all of a sudden the building falls down. So he had this tremendous, and he was very rigid, which is good. And on the other hand, he had very little flexibility, you know, so he didn't make rash decisions and he was very rigid. And they were putting him into um, a mode where he need to oversee, needed to oversee two working teams. Well, when you're working with people, there were many complaints because he wasn't flexible. One team worked exactly like he did. He thought they were stars. And the other team had a very different working style. And he didn't stop. I mentioned about delegating. He didn't stop to explain what his expectations were or the methodology he wanted to see. And so what he did is he would um, just give them work, say, I need it in two weeks. And then like on day 10, he'd check in on them and it wasn't done to his liking. So he'd grab it away, go, I'll just do it. And I mean, it was demoralizing just demoralizing. Um, and so, you know, at that point, you really need to pay attention to look at those strengths, you know, look at that impulse control. And one of the challenges is he knew, and one of the reasons he didn't give them feedback up front was he knew you weren't supposed to say something bad. So he didn't want to say that's the stupidest thing ever. He knew that was wrong. He didn't know what he should say, so he just said nothing. Mm. And so with him, we, you know, it's good to spend time working on how do you frame? How do you communicate more effectively? And how do you use empathy? How do you put yourself into their shoes? And how do you frame that? Mm. Um, I mentioned working with business partners. There were two people I worked with, and it was... Um, a very fast-paced, often frenetic, every day was a different day kind of business. And the owner of the business had incredibly good communication skills. She had a very low level of stress. She stressed out easily and quickly. And when she was stressed, her problem-solving skills spiraled. And she just couldn't solve that problem. If it was everything was working well and she was brainstorming, she was very creative. Her problem-solving skills were stellar. Her partner was a problem solver, is a problem solver, and he just wanted to scoop in and fix it. He didn't like to engage in conversation. He didn't think, why do we need to talk about it? I can just fix it faster. Let me do it. And when we got together and we saw they were on opposite ends of the spectrum. We were able to divide, identify three different levels of problems. And they came up with a technique to address each of those situations. You know, one was giving your access to a dashboard that they use. They had kind of said, oh, do this, but they hadn't sat down to show her how to use it. 
another time they identified someone else who could help her uh, as an intermediary. Mm-hmm. And then the third really essential, they came up with a code word that he knew he had to stop and pay attention mm-hmm. um, and just slow down. So, you know, um, it, it made a, a difference. They really, the light bulbs went off when they saw what was going on. And um, I just worked with some two business partners where they liked each other, they respected each other, but they had, you know, just a little bit of, you know, sandpaper mode and they couldn't put their fingers on it. And what we realized was looking at impulse control. Again, that came into real play because one um, was very creative, loved meeting people, um, but he had no impulse control. He made decisions quickly and he didn't really pay attention to the consequences. Mm. He would know that he had a good team, they'd fix it. They'd make it work. And his business partner really had a very high level where she couldn't make a decision because she wanted to make sure that the people involved, that every alternative, she understood the consequences. And so she would get frustrated when this person was moving too fast. And very often it happened right in the room with the client. And so we had just a very short time. Um, We didn't have a chance to unpack in that session everything. They came up with a key word that they recognized and they used um, part of the word was the analysis phrase. So the client, they wouldn't embarrass each other in front of the clients, but they would say, you know, this requires X kind of analysis. Could we get back to you? And, and so that gave them the space and gave them the time. And, and the client didn't think that they were having a fight. They mm-hmm. didn't realize that they both thought a different solution should be had. And, uh, and it, was, it was a quick you know, easy one step um, that made a total difference in how they address their business. Mm-hmm. Wow, those are three really great um, examples. And I think, you know, there's so much to unpack with each of them. I want to go back and hear the happy ending or, you know, the outcome for each one of those. Thinking about the one you just recently said, I think it's so important when there are business partners or two people that are working very closely together, what you just described by them coming up with a code word is they set their ego aside. They weren't trying to prove they were right in front of the client so that there was this one upmanship. They, they kind of laid that aside in order to acquire the business, you know, and, and have a united front with that individual And I think that, boy, it kind of circles back to paying attention, what you said early on related to emotional intelligence, this this kind of recognizing the moment when there's the opportunity for conflict and then having that level of awareness and skill that you help them develop to not get triggered, not to react, but to respond in a way that's beneficial to the situation and to the relationship with that other person. And 
Yes. And it's exciting to be a part of it. I get really energized. You can tell. And it's emotional intelligence and leadership is so intangible. And what I love, I I use an assessment, EQI 2.0. What I love about it is it's all about the data. And, you know, those three, four examples, they were all metrics. Now, it's not a linear metric, 94 to 100 is an A. It has to do with relationships and, you know, the um, the bell curve mm-hmm. with statistical analysis. And um, But you have the data. And, for example, when I'm, it happens, and I, I don't always behave as I would like to behave, so I have to take that breath and practice again. But the data gives you a reason. You're not just saying, oh, they're always so unreasonable. I can't believe it. When they have the data and they sit down and they go, okay, I know that I am not always patient. And here's the data. And this is their way of doing things. And it's not because they're just honorary and want to you know, push my buttons, but you see the data and you see that's how they work. You have a measure, you have a metric, all of a sudden it's tangible. So you can take all those intangible leadership skills and turn them into tangible action plans. Mm. And so leadership uh, still, you still, you can't always define it. You know it when you see it you can become a better, stronger leader because you're able to adapt the decisions and the timing that you make based on the people around you. And mm-hmm. I think when, when I think about my best leaders, they were the ones that would take that breath where they would reflect for a moment And sometimes they would say, I really need to think about that. I hadn't considered that. Mm -hmm. And then there were the others that said, Susan, what do you think? And, you know, that gave them a chance, first of all, to learn more. Mm -hmm. That gave them a chance to breathe and learn more about the situation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, And so that's really powerful and why I say emotional intelligence is really leads right into action and Mm. it's an action verb it's all about paying attention that's great yeah I I love that it's not something you know theoretical or conceptual it's got a very real practical application and I'm curious with this architect what he did to modify his behavior with that second team that he was struggling with so much? What are some of the ways that he changed, adapted in order to raise his emotional intelligence and be more effective? Um, One was creating a template that people could check off to make certain that they were proceeding through the process as he himself, what he was expect, setting expectations mm-hmm. um, for behaviors and resources. Um, they also set up a time milestones. So instead of getting back to them in two weeks, they had a timeline of when certain actions should be accomplished. Mm-hmm. 
And they didn't have to be an hour long meeting, you know, a 10 minute check in. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, starting very simply with um, here's a template, here's a checklist, coming back and checking in. And then we worked more on listening to understand as opposed to listening to respond. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were trying to help him reframe um, his or really expand his universe from how he did it Mm. to watching how he could improve other people's Mm -hmm. performance. You know, and that kind of circles back to really what we were starting with was looking at the fact that you can't change other people. You can only change yourself and look at what's my role, what's my responsibility in this exchange and interaction. Susan, I want to acknowledge all the great work you're doing. Look at the lives you're impacting by the way you interact with them, your own emotional intelligence and your own combination, I think, of the metrics with the data and also your own intuition about what this person in front of me needs at this moment. You're making such a a great impact in the lives of others. And I know some of my listeners are going to want to know more about this assessment about you, your work, and even get a copy of your book. So how can people do that? Um, Well, you can come to my website. Uh, I have it's expert to excellence, all pulled together, dot me. And there's um, ways to contact me via email if they want to contact me directly, sgs at riverbirchgroup.com. And, um, and I'm on Facebook, on LinkedIn. And, um, and please connect with me on LinkedIn. And I encourage people to do that because Susan posts some really great thought-provoking um, posts with great questions. So I enjoy reading your posts, Susan, and responding to them because it always makes me pause and reflect and think. Um, and also reading the comments that other people write. I, I want to thank you for who you are and oh. the wonderful work that you're you're doing with individuals, with partners, within organizations, with your, your um, classes that you're your teaching and the one-on-one sessions that you have that are really making a difference. Thank you so much, Susan, for being my guest today. Oh, Meredith, thank you so much for having me. And I want to thank you every time you respond to one of my posts because your responses are very, very thoughtful and very exciting. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I've trademarked expert to excellence of helping professional experts become excellent leaders. And um, I really appreciate that and um, look forward to meeting your guests and your audience. And you encourage people to, um, to reach out also to join us at the inclusive leadership in a virtual world. And I'm sure they can reach out to you or again, email me at sgs at riverbirchgroup.com or my website, expert to excellence.me. And I'm very happy to share that link 
and have your guests join us. That's a wonderful uh, invitation, and I do want to extend that to my listeners. This is a group of folks that are really committed to creating a more positive world and more positive workplaces. And we have individual facilitators each week, each with an area of expertise that ask great questions. We have wonderful interactions. And as I mentioned in Susan's introduction, she's the one who prepares the facilitators to be really effective in these weekly sessions. So that's a standing invitation to any of my listeners to reach out to me or Susan to learn more. And thank you again, Susan. It was just a pleasure having you with me today. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning into my podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.